0: Welcome into Hardcore College Football special show today. I have PJ Mullen from Penn State Marketing and Athletics joining the show to talk about all of the intricate details and logistics of college football marketing. He also worked under head coach James Franklin of Penn State for a little while. So, great story there. First, a little bit of news, and then right into the interview. Let's get after it. Welcome into to Hardcore College Football. I'm Corey Listoki. A jam-packed show today. We have P.J. Mullen from Penn State Athletics and Marketing joining the show to talk about Penn State football, Penn State athletics, and marketing, and how the heck college football marketing and logistics all work. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. First, a little bit of news. First thing up, college is trying to create herd immunity. There's been some rumors and some skepticism that possibly some schools like Clemson, are trying to actually get their players sick now so they're ready for the fall. Uh, Not much truth to it, not much, but rumors and speculation at this point. But could something like that work? I'm not really sure. I'm not really for it, especially since the most important priority for these college football coaches is taking care of the athlete. Maybe something like that in the NFL. Maybe, still doubt it, but maybe. But not in college football when the priority is the athlete. At least that's what they tell us. So I'm going to say no on that. And finally, Pat Ford's realigned Conferences. He came out with a fantastic realignment pod system, if you will, on Sports Illustrated. It was 10 leagues, 12 members in each league, all designed to limit travel and costs. There's no more than eight former Power 5 teams in each conference and no less than four. They would take the 10 champions of the round-robin tournament. And then there would be two at-large bids for a 12-team playoff. The top four teams assigned by the playoff committee would get a a bye. And then the remaining eight teams would play at the top four seed team's home field for the first round of the playoff. So that's kind of what he came up with there. It was all meant to alleviate costs and, and limit travel. It was at least fun. There was obviously some problems with it, like Notre Dame being in a conference and sharing it with a bunch of teams that they would never share it with. And of course, other issues like getting rid of some programs and dropping them to the FCS, as well as bringing some programs up. All sorts of little logistic details like that. But still, Pat Ford's idea is at least an interesting one. Also, the one other problem as I have as a Penn State fan is of course, Penn State's home schedule would not be very good. It'd be very difficult to see how they'd be able to sell full house tickets and jam pack that stadium with no more Ohio State, no more Michigan, no more Michigan State, no more Iowa is on the schedule. Instead, you're getting Buffalo and Navy and teams like that. So that's all I have for the news today. We're going to get right into the podcast. I have PJ Mullen on right now in three, two, one. Welcome into hardcore college football. With me now is PJ Mullen, Penn State Athletics Director of Marketing for Football and Basketball. How you doing, PJ? Hey, what's up, Corey? How you doing, man? Great to hear from you, and uh, looking
1: forward to talking to you for the next you know half hour, forty-five minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on, and I'm doing well. And I guess before we start, I guess most of these questions are going to be assuming things are as of normal. I'm not going to ask for you to speculate very much on where we might be in two months, um, but just to get a sense of how college football marketing works, we're going to assume things are normal. So when you answer the next whatever amount of questions, just kind of assume that we're asking as if things are normal. So first things first, PJ, how did you get involved in the sports marketing and maybe talk about what your responsibility is right now as the director uh, of marketing for athletics? A great question. And uh, and yeah,
1: and as far as speculating and not speculating, I think it's the funny thing is I think um, or I know Everybody on the inside, quote unquote, and on the outside, quote unquote, on the teams from the coaching staff, everybody's in the same boat. I mean, who doesn't want to ultimately see, you know, college football, college basketball, uh, college soccer. Everybody wants to see that major league baseball. Everybody wants to see all this stuff come back together. But everybody ultimately wants everybody to be, you know, the main focus is everybody wants to be safe. And safety is the top priority. So uh, speculating and I, I, I don't. I, I do. I mean, I speculate when I'm talking to my brothers or I'm talking to my buddies or whatever. But the reason I don't do it um, publicly or on Twitter, and a lot of people aren't doing it, coaches aren't doing it, staff, is because you don't want to get people's hopes up um, and you don't be you want to be irresponsible with your thoughts. So you don't want to say, oh, we're going to be back and and make this bold statement. It's different than me saying, hey, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl this year, Corey. You know what I mean? Because you know I'm an Eagles <laughs> fan. Or the Phillies <laughs> are going to win the World Series in, in the 60-game showdown. That That's cool. That's you and I talking. When you start saying, or anybody really in any industry, in my opinion, says, "Hey, our, our restaurant is opening next week," where I just I can feel it, or "Hey, we're, we're gonna we're gonna kick off in front of 107,000 people," that's where people um put themselves in a tough spot because then you're getting people's hopes up and you're not considering everything going on or being sensitive. And there's just so many bigger, um, uh, more important issues going on in the world. You know, even you know, not just including COVID, everything else um, that are just so much more important to really focus our attention on. So that's why I think people have avoided speculating. As far as getting into, you know, college athletics, I know you, you kind of know my story, but um but yeah, I mean I I once Penn State graduated. I was doing radio and TV and doing my thing. And I, I always loved doing that stuff and, and really the production side. So whether that meant I was on the microphone or putting together a video or you know, an audio mix or whatever it was. Um, Those were things that I really just loved doing, whether it was for a radio audience or a TV audience, high school sports, whatever it was. Um, So when I left Penn State, I ended up going down to Harrisburg and doing my thing down there. I was a sports director and a news director at a station down there and um, really covered high school sports and local news right in Carlisle, really small town outside of Harrisburg. Loved it down there. Uh, I have great friends down there and memories, and it was my first job out of school. So um, at the time, you know, that 22 grand, I think I was making, uh, was the best thing ever. And I knew nothing else besides that. Cause I had only done my work study stuff before that and maybe worked at the snack bar as a lifeguard. I think a couple times in the summer, maybe some landscaping. So 22 G's was, I was feeling it. And then I realized, Oh, I gotta pay rent. Oh I gotta pay my, I gotta buy my uh, fast food here and bring the girlfriend out or whatever the case may be. And then, and then pay car insurance and all that stuff. And I was like, man, 22 grand is not going to get me very far. <laughs> and, um, but I loved it. I mean, high school sports every Friday. Um, we actually played state high, which is a local team up here in State College, <laughs> and uh, that that was always really, really cool. And uh, and then saw a lot of cool high school, a lot of great high school football um, down there in Carlisle, uh, with, with everybody in Cumberland and Dolphin County and everywhere else. So. That was great, and then um, the boss one day came in and said, "Hey, you want to you want to you know move to our station in Philly?" I said, "Absolutely." And they were they were a Phillies affiliate in 2008, and that was obviously a big year for the Phillies. And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Moved back towards home, see my buddies, my girlfriend at the time was living out there, and it made sense. So moved out that way after a year in Carlisle, and. Um, Now I was doing uh, uh, high school sports at a higher level on Friday nights and doing a show from a studio with like 18 different affiliates all over the the area in Philly and all the different, you know, high school football leagues. And it was great. And They'd call in and we'd have high school kids and college kids and older guys and ladies checking in from different places. We had kind of our ambassadors. It kind of made a really cool high school show out of it, which I kind of missed doing. Actually, it was really fun. And and then um, and then one day they came in and we were carrying the Phillies. they came in in September of 2008 and they said, hey, you know, we sold the station and, you know, everyone's done as of tomorrow. So I sped down to Citizens Bank Park and I um, I cashed in because we like I said, we were the Phillies affiliates, one of them. So they had offered us. Um, you know, flat rate, you know, on the on the tickets for the for the playoffs. So face value. So we had the option to buy two of those each and they were impossible to get in Philly. You couldn't pay anything less than fifteen hundred dollars and get a ticket to a playoff game that that year. So I sped down there. I cashed in. I go. I want them all. Both of them for the WCOJ account. And they said, oh, yeah, no problem. It was $800 a pop because it was face value for the tickets. And then my dad and I actually happened to have a Sunday game plan, which came with, a, I think, a ticket or two to each of the series, depending on how far the Phillies went. So me and my buddy went in on the other one. Uh, Eyewitness News, Channel 3 down there in Phillies doing a story on the economy, which at the time was not in great shape. And they interviewed me and they go, yo, like, how are you affording playoff tickets? You know, this is insane. I'm, I said, I just got let, fired. We just got laid off, whatever. They just, they just shut down the, the, the company, they sold it. Um, I'm getting a month severance and mom and dad, I'm moving in. And then my mom and dad, by the time I left the Philly stadium to when I drove back to my parents for dinner that night, my parents had learned that way that I, that I lost my first job. My dad was really (laughs) proud of me for kind of taking it like a champ and having a little humor behind it. I didn't know how many people were watching the news that night. And, um, and then everyone was texting me. And this was kind of before Twitter, I think, and Instagram and Facebook was kind of, coming becoming the thing myspace was kind of going into extinction so it wasn't like the thing to, st- to post everything so obviously i would have like blogged the whole thing or vlogged it whatever it is but i didn't so they found out the old-fashioned way and then um and yeah the station gave me like 900 bucks severance or something and then i, I was going down by night selling my tickets that my dad and i had Um, one of them to make up the money that I had spent on the tickets that my buddy and I went in on from the radio station before the radio station had time to call the Phillies and tell them we were no longer an affiliate. So my mind was working like business style from the second we lost our jobs to about the next six hours were like pure, put up a business plan in my head, get it done before anybody could pull out. And then um, I think I went on to like make more money that month than I did, I think for the entire year leading up to that. Uh, Went to every single game, I think pretty much every game, with either my dad or my buddy and kind of rotated in between and then sold a bunch of tickets and kind of was in that market randomly hustling as a 23-year-old in South Philly for a little bit and uh, had some crazy stories and places that I had to meet people with tickets that I probably would never do again looking back on it. But 2008, when you're 23, you know, you're invisible and the world's yours. So I did it. Had an awesome time. And in, in that process, got hired by a uh, talk show in D.C., um, uh, a random Craigslist posting went down there, ended up being a national talk show, a top five talk show um, for a political uh, person. And I'm not going to get into who or what that was, because I don't want anybody to, you know, say you should be doing this or that. Like, I just don't want to go there. But um, went down there and, and, and that person offered me the job. And then Barack Obama was actually in, he went into office. I guess he was elected that that next week or two. And my first job was at the inaugural ball, which was crazy because I'm like, I'm 23. I didn't have a job a month ago. I'm selling tickets in South Philly. I got to see the Phillies win the World Series. And now my first week on the job, the inaugural ball is happening and Jay-Z and Beyonce are standing in the corner. This is awesome. I'm living. Um, That job job did its thing. It was fun. Um, But ultimately not. I wasn't giving back to the community the way I had been in Carlisle. And in, and in Westchester, uh, outside of Philly. So I was like, man, I, I really want to get back to the basics. I was making good money in DC. I was making probably triple quadruple what I was making in the other two places, but the happiness level was shrinking, uh, fast. And I, and I was having all sorts of anxiety issues and a little bit of depression. And I remember I was kind of blogging that with my mom on an email, which I still have a bunch of those emails. I would send my mom an email every day and kind of let her know where my head was. And looking back, man, I was, was not in a good spot. I just wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling it. I was doing stupid stuff and uh, not taking care of myself. And and my days were like from a one to 10, I was ranking them threes and fours and twos. And now I don't think I have any less than nine, nine days, nine times out of 10. So I, I just, I just wasn't in a good spot. I remember talking to my grandpa who's still with us. He's 92. He's going to be 93 in December. And he said, if I could be 23 again and do it all over again, I would not care how much I was getting paid. I'd be having fun. That's all I'm going to tell you. So I left the next day. The guy i had worked for in Carlisle had taken over a couple of radio stations in state college. And I packed my bags through my mattress, my twin bed mattress on the top of my um, minivan, my mint green minivan and drove my, uh, my butt up to state college. And and unfortunately I did not handle that, that departure the proper way. You're supposed to get two weeks. And so I'm not giving any advice here, but I didn't peaced out and started mm-hmm. to reinvent myself and, um and the state college story goes with me going to a pop station and kind of doing some production and then um them giving me a shot to do the morning show and me you know pushing every angle I could so did the morning show did some sales started a big internship program you know ended up having 25 students a semester which turned into about 75 a year which over time over five years is about five or six hundred people that end up working for you or with you in some way shape or form and in um, that process, Jim Knockman from Penn State Athletics had hit me up at one point when everything kind of was going down at Penn State and things were, were, were happening and shifting, and we were seeing new faces in the athletic department. He called me and said, Hey, uh, I was on the beach. He said, I need you to meet with me tomorrow. And I'm like, Man, Jim Knockman, why, why would he be telling me he needs to meet with me? At the time, I had been doing a little bit of MCing for like the Lady Lions and some. Audio stuff for the new softball field, but Bill O'Brien's coming in. This guy, Jim Knockman's calling me up. I'm leaving the beach. I packed I left the beach that day, Seattle City. I was on the beach. I literally drove up that night, met with him in the morning. He said, I need you to start helping us with the production of Beaver Stadium. All our people are moving to different places, and we need we need some uh, some new faces in here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a bone. I'll let me know how much we need to pay a game. And uh, and that was that. And we started doing some music stuff, which kind of got my foot in the door with some football folks and basketball folks and we'd have them on the show bill o'brien would come on coach chambers was new at the time this new guy with only two kids at the time he's coming in he was coming on the radio show we're both from delco so kind of started that relationship and then really just started working on relationships with all the coaches Uh, sure enough o'brien leaves um franklin comes in and i looked at him one day at his press conference i said i am working for that dude um, I don't know how or when or why, but I'm, I'm getting in with that guy. And this was the same day that about 700 people were surrounding him in the media room at Beaver Stadium. And they all wanted the same thing. They all wanted a piece of CJF. So I'm like, how am I going to stand out? I'm-
0: why is that? Why did what, what about his personality on that first day made everyone gravitate towards him?
1: I think it was like it was that SEC and, you know, football better than anybody. Probably as good, if not better than anybody I know. So it was that SEC swag that Penn State um, – and I'm not saying for the wrong reason. Penn State wasn't used to that. Penn State was, was used to, you know, old school and, and you know, just blue collar and, and, and coaches very much, all those things. But he brought a different ingredient. He brought the swag ingredient and the confidence that Penn State – I'm not saying O'Brien didn't have it, but O'Brien came – did his thing and then he was out and people kind of felt that 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 was going to ultimately happen and 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 that was good coach o'brien did a freaking phenomenal job if you look at some of the wins we had and some of the records we had but franklin comes in you're like all right this is a young dude who's hungry and he's on a mission to win a national championship at the college level and you could just feel it around him he's got his two daughters with him and his wife and his operation staff and they're all kind of around him. You're like, this dude's, this dude's got a, got a plan. And he just comes across as like a very CEO type of guy. Like he ain't just a football coach. He he gets it on the recruiting side, the marketing side, the, the donor side, the working the fans, the community. He gets it all. So, and I'd done some research on him at Vandy, and I'm like, all right, this guy's, this guy's the guy. He's a college football coach. He's like the, he's the epitome of a college football coach so um so that so that was january of hell i don't even know 2014 and i'm like all right man who would have thought six years ago i was fired from that job in philly you know begging people to buy tickets uh, selling tickets rather scalping and then now i'm doing my thing up here and i might have a shot so i start working him i invite him to the radio station he comes on the show a couple times every time he came in man i had nittanyville in the back of that radio station with their tents up i had the blue band there that's cheer dance and all 7800 of the interns wearing blue and white no red in the building we had like no red allowed signs all over the place we had the music blasting i mean it was a parade for this guy when he came in and he he i remember him saying on the air he goes man i thought i had the best job in the in the country this is the best job in the country he just loved the energy. He's an energy guy i mean he loved what he saw like all right that that was step one of getting noticed now i got to do other things so i started doing weird things like playing anything from a press conference he would say like i'm gonna be in your backyard blowing up balloons at birthday parties well i would grab that quote real quick turn it into a liner for the radio station and run that bad boy every other song and i was getting destroyed on pages by people like why is pj or b94 you know kissing butt and doing this like what is going on over there the format's going it's going away um and, and they're they're just destroying us and I'm thinking yeah I'm doing it because I'm trying to. so I want anybody that drives into this town that puts on a pop station to hear that we have a new guy in town and he's running the show and that was just our little pop stations but my thought was hey we'll make it as big as we can and then he and I would would, would, would talk every now and then one day he hit me up on Twitter and he goes hey shoot me a call I call him and he goes what's your plan here? I said, I want to be your guy. I don't know what that really means, but I want to be your guy. And he goes, well, then if you're my guy, you can't do what you're doing for me locally on the radio station. I said, yeah, I can. I can do it with a thousand other stations across the state or across the country. So he's like, all right, we'll keep in touch. So I'm working up at Tussie Mountain one night for WingFest. He calls me. I'm like, work doing, work in WingFest. He's like, you busy? I'm like, nah, not at all. I mean, I was. And he's like, I need you to meet me down at, um, Camry. He's like, if you like sushi, and I'm like, yeah, I love sushi, hate sushi. And I was busy. So I lied to the guy speed down there, leave my interns and part-timers behind. They're up at Tussie meet up with coach, I have my camera eye with him and coach Huff, who was our special teams coach at the time. He's at Alabama now. And, uh, we're talking, I'm giving them all these ideas for scavenger hunts and people in town to get in touch with and places to go and places to bring recruits for dinners, all that stuff. And uh, he's asked me people that would be good for this player development job. And I'm listing guys that play here. I'm listing ladies in town that I thought would be great. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm the guy. But if I tell him I'm the guy, I'm not showing him that I'm willing and humble enough to show him who might be a great guy. So I gave him every candidate I thought was good. And at the very end of that dinner, I said, but I'd be your number one guy. And he said, all right, apply tomorrow. So I applied the next day. That was like (laughs) June or July. And then I think the next week um, I got uh, called in for an interview. The next week it was like a Friday, but that Thursday I brought him up to Wingfest because he said he'd come up and like hang out. He's like, "Yeah, I'll hang out with you at Wingfest." Well, I brought him up on stage after he told me three times, "Do not announce that I'm here. I just want to come and chill." So I announced he was there stupidly, and he went up on stage. And when he left the stage, he texted me something that I couldn't repeat in case there's children listening that I'd screwed up, and I, and I called my dad. I was like, did I screw up? You think he's messing with me? My dad was like, no, he's not messing with you. He wanted to chill. He told you not to announce his name, and to 5,000 people, you told him that the new head coach is there, and they swarmed him. You ticked them off. <laughs> so the next, night, the next night, I go in for an interview. I, I think I flunked the interview completely with him and Coach Pry and Dwight Galt and Todd Kolka. You get interviewed by like 58 people with this squad because they want to know everything about you. I'm like, oh, man, this is a lot. And then uh, he called me that night. And he's like, you want to grab dinner? And uh, we went to Gigi's. And then, or, I'm sorry, we went to Kelly's out in Bullsburg. And then after that, he was like, hey, my wife and kids are down in uh, Nashville still. But I got a, a guy that, you know, has, has bought the house next door to where I'm going to be moving into. He's having, like, a get-together. And they have a band there and stuff. He's like, you mind coming with me? Because I don't really know anybody. So I was like, yeah, I'll know, I'll know somebody there. So I went with him, kind of acted as his, you know, personal assistant. And I kind of knew everybody there and was – Getting a minute out of conversations, and I could feel like that—that's where I actually won the interview, I think. And then a month or two went by, and they hired somebody in that position. I think they hired two people actually. Like a guy came and left. He got like a coaching job, and another guy came and then went down to like A&M or something like that. And I'm like, man, they forgot about me. They—they—they they, they were like, screw the DJ. We got—we got what we need. And I'm thinking, I'm—I'm going to be stuck just being the DJ. And then um, August came, and he's like, hey, I want you to do a radio show outside my, um, my office. So I brought the whole crew in that morning. I beat him to work, which is a rarity. James Franklin beats everybody to work, and he leaves. He first one in, last one out. Um, I got my whole crew there at like 4 in the morning. Set it up on his patio that you've been on a couple times outside his office. I got Sandy Barber there, who was brand new at the time. The basketball coach. I got every, I think I got like 28 of the 31 varsity sport coaches there. The blue band ticked off the entire marketing department because i didn't tell any of them i was doing this i didn't really know them that well and they're like what <laughs> who's this guy bringing all our coaches in, not going through the challenge you know the drill
0: oh i know that I, I would
1: i would be so ticked off if someone did that to me too and i was like i got it sometimes you just gotta go you just gotta dive right in head first and just go and, and deal with it later uh coach comes in he's loving the energy so yeah so they they come in they're all leaving for ireland the staff's coming in now i'm kind of getting to know the staff now because they kind of see me around every now and then they think i'm like the the fun guy and then um after the thing's over he's like hey did you talk to uh jamal who was his chief of staff at the time i was like no nah. he's like all right he's gonna hit you up later
0: is jamal still
1: at oregon jamal is actually at st thomas in minnesota he's one of their associate ad so he got he got moved up to uh to uh, associate ad out there Perfect. uh with phil esten and those guys that used to be the deputy ad here who's now the ad at st thomas um Jamal doesn't call me I, I text Jamal I'm like hey coach said you might want to talk to me and Jamal didn't answer I mean I'm like the dude, the chief of staff is leaving for Ireland with the entire Penn State football team and dealing with passports with every staff member he ain't calling me the next day I'm at Dick's Sporting Goods it's like a Friday I'm like well back to the grind here we go I'm buying like a, a Under Armour you know hoodie to take my jog or whatever I was trying to do And I remember getting a zero zero one one five nine zero zero one call. I answer it. He's like, yo, what's up, Uh, PJ? It's Jamal and Coach Franklin. they were like, yo, you start Monday. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, you start Monday. So let your let your boss know. So I I went in the radio (laughs) station. I let my boss know. And um, they they ultimately let me kind of do my two weeks out of there because I did have a lot of different responsibilities and obligations with that. And uh, yeah, so that got me in. And then three years, you know, it was like one, one day I'm in there begging dairy queen to give me free lunch so I can give them extra mentions on the air. The next day I'm flying first class on a, on a charter flight with the Penn state football team, sitting a couple rows behind the head coach to head to Michigan, uh, for game, you know, three or four that season. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like I'm, I'm part of the squad now. And then, um, and then that comes with a ton of responsibility and it comes with a ton of, uh, awesome memories and, Great friendships that, that I still have and um, and bonds and a Big Ten championship and a couple bowl trips. And and then, yeah, the marketing job opened up uh, when Mike Worsbicki left and went to uh, Minnesota to become their assistant AD of, uh, of marketing. And uh, when he left, uh, it opened up a door over across the street. And I went to Brad Keene, who you know real well, Corey. And I said, yeah, I, I want this. And Brad was like, I want you here. I went to Coach Franklin. I was like, hey, I love this. I can do as much for you, if not more, across the street. Now that I've kind of established this role over here for three years, I said I think I can do as much if if I get back into the football realm. But I can, but I can help us.
0: So, what did you do when you were at the football program? Just so everyone understands what your role was while you were working under James Franklin.
1: Uh, football. My job was so it was player development, and community relations. So I'll give it in like a bullet point form, so I don't bore everybody, but. Your job in that position, it's a very important role. Um, Will Flaherty has it now. Uh, Lauren Geppert, one of my former interns, uh, is, is, is the assistant director of player development. Will has it, and they have a great staff, and they've, they've taken it to a whole other level. Um, but yeah, you're, you're kind of the guy for the players, student-athletes, the the, man, uh, the managers to a certain extent, the, the parents, and then all the different position coaches and the head coach. Plus the staff. So you're kind of like the players guy. So for example, Easter weekends coming up, coach Franklin's a stickler for always wanting to know what everyone's doing. So no one's left out. So, Hey, PJ, by tomorrow, I want to know what every player on the team's doing. Well, there's 125 players on the team. So I could send up the mass text and hear back from, you know, 14 of them or I can go and literally go to their position groups when they huddle after practice. And that's also a good way to get to know people and show face and just hound them and find out. So I'd be finding that out, making a spreadsheet, showing him, hey, Brandon Bell's going here, Saquon's going back to back home here, Trace is staying in town, and then Coach would then know to send personalized invites out to the guys staying in town to bring them to his house to have Easter with the family. Um, transcripts, uh, or excuse me, admission process to come into Penn State, their rooming, um, uh, you know, setting up roommates, going through housing, their meal plans, their stipends, making sure they have all that stuff done working hand in hand with the recruiting department when families come to campus helping them out with with tours meeting with mom and dad or aunt or uncle and the guy talking about everything they're going to do off the field at penn state community service player development in the sense of getting internships or getting uh, job opportunities setting up the career the business fairs um having major game day roles which i still i still i kind of maintained my same game day roles because that was more beneficial for the program um all the community relationship if a guy got in trouble it's me, the guy, the position coach, and the head coach. That's the way it works. Uh, you work with the, assist, the position coach and the, and the guy to make sure he's getting back on track uh, before we go meet with the head guy. Or you work with the parents. One thing the coach was big on was that I called at least 10 parents a day, every single day of the week, 365. If you do the math, you got 125 guys in on the team. Each of them has you'd average two parents. Some of them have three or four with step parents involved. Some of them have less less if they lost one or two. Um, unfortunately, so just calling them every day, it leads to ultimately you talking to 300 parents a month. And that's about what the, the number is. So now you're basically making phone contact with a parent once per month, 12 months a year. And now you're a go-to person for them. Hey, my son, who's the fourth string kicker, um, is having issues with X, Y, and Z. He doesn't know where to get a bike or he is tire popped or he's having a tough time. I hear that from mom or dad. I bring that to special teams position coach, and then me, special teams position coach, and James or Coach Franklin might meet up and say, hey, someone's, you know, Joe Schmo's uh, hurting in this area. What do you think? And Coach might say, hey, let's all talk to them together. If P.J. want you set up a plan with them, or let's get together with him and this person, or let's get with his academic advisor." It's a lot of that type of stuff, and it's just nonstop all day every day on top of the recruiting Um, elements of it. So I think, I don't know if that gives you a great idea, but that's kind of the best way I can kind of describe it.
0: That sounds about what I remember you doing all the time, running around with your head cut off. Basically, if you could sum up maybe one thing that we don't know about James Franklin or, or something that people don't realize he does that, or maybe he's even underlooked uh, when we talk about James Franklin, what he's been able to do at Penn state.
1: He is. and, And people know, I mean, people know he's, he's a great, he's a great guy. And people know he's got confidence. Um, I think two things people don't realize is he's he he is a father of two of two young ladies, and and with that comes a guy that becomes a whole different level of emotion and and being sensitive to people, not being sensitive like 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 you're soft, being sensitive like you just think through everything before you do anything. When you're just when you're a father, I'm not. And he often says, until you're like a father or a mother, you just it's a whole different meaning of life. He takes. 125 guys he has under them and treats them like the 125 brothers of his two daughters and when you have that just like any other family I mean you and I I mean I, I love my dad you do too like we get we get we butt heads with dad we butt heads with mom and uncle whoever brother sister like that happens in any family it happens because everybody kind of you know cares about each other and looks out for one another and he takes that so seriously his attention to detail I just mentioned that Easter thing a second ago That's the type of stuff this guy's doing across the board. It ain't just about what they're doing for Easter. It's about what this guy's eating. It's about how many pounds this guy uh, gained overnight. It's about what that guy's doing who had a problem a couple years ago with X, Y, or Z and how he's coming through that or getting better. It's it's four-hour meetings with academic staff every Thursday of the year, going into detail about every guy in every one of his classes. Um, It's... He, he has a binder he brings everywhere it's his playbook for life it's not his playbook for football yeah it's got all of his plays and stuff from the 12 different coaches and all those things but it's also got a whole element of it from player development, from recruiting from operations, from administration, from donors from high school relations from campus relations, community relations I mean police relations everything you can think of this guy's always on top of and he's got people around him that are always kind of getting that stuff done but he's on them like you cannot pull one past this cat like you will not you cannot it's not worth it it's like when you're taking a run and you know you got to go run up to the end of the street and touch the thing and come back and you know if you don't do it you're the only one that knows but you're cheating yourself If, if you are ever cheating james franklin he will know and he may never even bring it up to you but he will know and it will ultimately catch up to you and that's a good thing and that's made me so much better at everything i do um, because of the way he handles it, I mean, he's he's just purely he's a CEO genius. And coaching a Penn State football team is is a big part of his job, but it's such it's 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 ten percent of everything else this guy's doing, and he's the face of our university. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy, it's just absolutely insane.
0: So let's switch gears now. As a generic whole. Tell me what college football Penn State marketing and what is Penn State marketing and what is your responsibility there? I still
1: don't think anybody including people in marketing really know what marketing is. I think it's the same as coaching. Uh, it's not the same but it's the same thing. It's like, oh, you're a coach. You have to blow the whistle and tell a kid to run faster or run the route, right? No. Nah. Now, nah, you're a coach. You 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 you're you're, you're, a, you're a father when you need to be, you're a friend, you're a brother, sister, mother, whatever whatever the case may be, you're an advisor you're you're a shoulder to lean on you you're you're that with marketing you are um you're hitting all areas you're working with strategic communications you know yeah this this press release is coming out from stratcom but what are we utilizing within this press release that's going to ultimately help us get butts in seats what are we doing to entice it where and which paragraph is getting this what are we doing to get fans to come so our three things are how do we get fans in the stadium how do we make the experience amazing for the fans and the athletes and the teams And how do we generate revenue for Penn State Athletics? And with those three things, those three items, there are a million branches that come off of them. When you talk about generating revenue, you're talking about, yeah, great ideas to get people to come spend money on tickets, or the team can be really good. Or you came up with a great idea for a sponsor that has legs that can last four, five, six years and make other sponsors want that that much more and have them up their their bid for next year, right? So you have those types of things. You got got, – you have you have the experience in the arena in the arena or in the stadium, which is probably an area I kind of specialize in most personally, where it's let's not just ever think of this as an event where they come to see Penn State beat Michigan. Let's make this a freaking show. And it could be someone's first time here or last time here. And no matter what, when they leave, they're gonna be like, That was awesome. I got to see I got the high five Trace McSorlier. Or Miles Sanders, who came back, you know, from the Eagles, or Joe Jonas, or those fireworks were dope. And I took a video and posted it up on my Twitter or my Instagram, and got the most likes I've ever gotten. Like things like that, Um, special moments, those those bone-chilling moments, or those uh, those uh, goosebump moments where um, we're bringing back someone that's that's conquered all odds, or. Or, um, or, you know, beat cancer or someone with uh, special needs that gets to come out and have their moment um, in front of an arena or a stadium full of people and uh, those types of things are really important. And I'm like a, I'm known for being outside the stadium and grabbing a, a kid and his dad or a, a, a girl and her dad or mom or whoever. And, uh, and and putting them in a spot where I know they're going to ultimately get the high five of James Franklin or, or get a picture on the field or whatever. Like if you take care of like little things and don't just think, well, if I got to do it for one, I got to do it for everybody. I hate that. You're not wrong in that mentality, but you should be thinking of it by making every single individual experience better. And then I'd rather clean up that mess when you can't do it for everybody as opposed to not making it fun for anybody at all. So it's that stuff and then when it comes to getting butts and seats it's just a year-long process of thinking of ideas of uh this is gonna be a dip in the season here specifically to like a hockey or a basketball maybe um you know how are we gonna get fans when we don't have any students up here and we don't have anybody that wants to come over the mountain from lewistown or altoona into the arena um or the stadium when the students aren't here and it's a tuesday night or a thursday night or a saturday in november that's cold like those are areas that marketing should look at as opportunities to really make their money and 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 help and help Penn State. So that that's kind of marketing of those three areas. My number one favorite thing that I do and that I the reason I do my job is the fan experience to make the game as awesome as humanly possible, which comes with a ton of fun and a ton of uh, people. Uh, Sometimes not loving everything you do. And that's 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 part of the territory.
0: Well let's focus in on that then and, and run me through a typical Penn State home Saturday football game because I know you do a lot in the stadium but start from the beginning and kind of run through how you create this sort of experience and what your responsibility is uh, on game day.
1: You know, typically and, and and like anything, like like a great Nittanyville uh, camp out and you as the president at the time of, of the student section of the number one student section in the country, um, all, all good planning and all good. Uh, results come with come with come with great plans and great strategy and 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 great Plan Bs and Cs and Ds for when the weather gets nasty and all that fun stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean it all starts way in the summer and talking to the town. Hey, the Whiteout game is going to be here. Can we set off fireworks past 11 o'clock this night? Because that's an ordinance and getting risk management to sign off on fireworks and all that fun stuff. Forgetting all that and just looking at purely a Saturday. Um, I usually get up at the stadium at about 4:30, 4:45 a.m. and that's when we start bringing the trucks in um, to set up the stage outside and get all the speakers and everything set up for team arrival. Obviously, you, as a Nittanyville alum, know that that's about the time you guys are waking up to go back to your dorms to drop off your tents, only to march back up in the cold or the rain. Um, which I still am not in love with that process, but but one day we'll we'll, we'll get it we'll get it buttoned up. <laughs> but I'm up there about that time. Uh, once we get that going with the stage, because that's right before we have to shut down Curtain Road and everything right outside the, the, the tunnel of the stadium underneath that that the scoreboard on the BJC side. Get all that kind of set up and going with the crew. I'll run back over to the BJC real quick and kind of put any final touches that my brain might have thought of for like the intro video. Oh, my gosh, I didn't think of this. Oh, this kid kind of brought this up last night at Friday at Nittanyville. I didn't even think of putting that in there. Uh, maybe that updated play or that special moment or maybe we got game day going on. I'm like, yeah, we still need the shot of core show putting the helmet on the lion head on. Right. So we still got to have that open. So I'll kind of pop over, cut up a couple things that I thought of overnight. Um, if I didn't cut them up in my house, uh, audio or video stuff, load them in uh, about 6, 7 a.m. Me, Dana Krause and a kid named Andy Ratty, a guy named Andy Ratty go over to the stadium and we kind of power on everything, the video boards, the music make sure we got the line we're going at full blast circle of life get the tailgaters the rv folks up and going they usually honk their horns for us when we're doing that uh then we do a run through uh michael hazel will send us the um the uh starting lineups for folk for penn state and we'll uh we'll just make sure we got that all set so so our our core dana uh, andy and myself will kind of uh run through that and make sure Every, everything looks right, sounds right, spelled right. It's in order, so we're ready to go.
0: So you're one of the first people to know the starting lineup then because I'm surprised Franklin even allows that because isn't he pretty tight-knit about all that? He, um, They go over with the staff early in the morning. Um, by the time we have it, we, we don't do anything
1: that wouldn't be – let me put it this way. If it's not normal, for example, say uh, Sean Clifford was going to start instead of Trace McSorley we wouldn't run that on the board we're we're very we're, we're only testing to make sure it works anything that's not normal uh we're only running normal stuff because normal actually becomes complicated sometimes once you have all this technical stuff involved so if it's not a normal routine lineup that we're used to we'll actually run it in our booth um and we'll run it on a preview screen in our booth and we'll just hope for the best type of deal so so good good call and we're pretty, yeah, we're 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 well aware of that. But we do learn it so we can have it all ready early in the morning, um, so it's ready to go. Uh, and that's way after the staff. I mean, the staff meets at 6 a.m., so they're they're finding that out way before and they're putting that all together. And this is for this is for probably an earlier game anyway. So yeah, anyway, we're doing that, running through it. Um, once we're kind of done running through that, I'll run down to the field. Those two will stay upstairs. I'll make sure the field speakers are good to go. I'll get on the wireless mics, the ref mics, do that whole routine. Walk up and down the field, make sure those puppies are working, um, batteries charged. Uh, I'll then do a little walk through on the field with our video uh, director Sean McDermott, and make sure hey yo we're bringing in the two uh, you know World Cup champs from from the women's uh, national team here. We're bringing uh, we're bringing Alyssa and Allie in. Hey, we're gonna do it here, here, and here, or hey we're gonna we're gonna surprise someone, have the lion pop out here. Or we're staging this dance off here, whatever we got going on. He and I will kind of run through that that's probably like 7:38. now it's starting to get um you know a crowd outside so then I'll go back out and by then we're uh, we're good to go to uh, kind of get the music pumping at, at team arrival and get the stage pumping um out there and you know I'll pop up to the recruiting lounge make sure they're good in case they got like an audio issue or something's wrong up there I'll kind of hook up with Andy Frank and make sure they're good uh, and that kind of oversees fan fest then I'll go down and the crew will start bringing out the um, the tables and the flags to line the street and our, our celebrity guests will start to come out. We'll have him or her staged in the media room and everything's kind of happening at the same time. So we're putting the buttons out. We're getting people lined up. We're making announcements. The live band's playing, we're running upstairs. We're coming back in to check stuff. Oh, we. Oh, my God. Lee Corsair just put the line helmet on. Oh, crap. We got to change the whole intro video. Oh, I got to run back across the street to shirt and Center, edit it real quick. Whatever. There's a million things like that going on. Um, in the middle of it, you're kind of putting on a show at team arrival, which turns into a parade. Oh, crap. The Lionettes are behind the stage now. Cheerleaders are in the tunnel. Now Now it's go time. Then you'll get a text from like a Kevin Threlko or, or a banker and they'll say, hey, and, we, and we've had meetings of this all week, but they'll say, hey, we're leaving in 10. And they're very they never leave a minute early or late from anything. So um, he'll, he'll give me kind of a 10 minute warning. I'll, I'll radio to everybody. Teams leaving in 10 from the hotel and then um, we'll make an announcement to the fans tell them to tweet out something now you're looking at like 920 ish we'll bring the the blue band out the blue band actually has to get bussed over to gate c they come through the stadium come out gate a um we'll bring them in place then we announce the cheerleaders the lions come up on stage band that we had up there moves back um bring the uh celebrity honorary captain we kind of parade him or her down the, the main aisle to the end where the team gets dropped off and then um and then then we march the team in and then um from there Uh, we go into show mode, which is uh, literally the second Nittanyville gates open up. And we go into show mode where we have uh, walk-in music and we keep it light because the guys like to have their headphones on at that point. And then we'll kind of take requests from whoever. We'll play some music, get some business uh, going, make some uh, announcements, and then we'll kind of jack up the PA announcer a little bit, Dean's mic, so the people outside the stadium kind of hear it. And we'll start showing some stuff on the screen. And then 68 minutes out is when our clock starts for warm-ups. And when warm-ups start, we are in full – go full volume mode for each guy and each unit as they come out and they're all on um, three or four minute intervals, sometimes five or six, depending on the unit and each Galt's in charge of that. And they come out and get going. I'm down on the field at that point, kind of jamming out. We're running different videos and keeping the hype. And then at uh, 37 on the clock, I pack my stuff. We take down the speakers on the field for safety reasons. So they're out of the way. And I I, I just run upstairs. I bolt right out the south tunnel to the elevator. I get on the elevator. I get upstairs. I usually have like a five-minute window to get up there. The guy upstairs, John Foreman, kind of takes over for me. And then I uh, hop on the ones and twos. And uh, at that point, we're going into starting lineups, and we're running those live from upstairs. After starting lineups, team clears the field. We introduce the blue band. That's kind of our minutes to chill because we're not pumping anything through the video board or through the uh, PA system besides Dean. And I'll run to the bathroom or something like that or – Whatever I got to do, and then um, and then we uh, once the blue band's all all done, we're, we're timing them out literally down to the second. Uh, our goal is always right around the six minute mark to uh, to hit the intro video right at the end of rock and roll. Intro video rolls. Kevin Threlkeld will text me. We're about to leave the locker room, which then I let Sean know, and he gets that live shot when they come out of the locker room. And then uh, teams marching down. They sit there for about eight ten seconds. We count them in, hit the line, we hit some fireworks, and it's go time. Hopefully that kind of gives you a good idea.
0: That was more than a good idea. That was fantastic, PJ. That was that was awesome there. Um, you mentioned College Game Day a couple times there. How much does the actual team's marketing get to work with College Game Day? Do you guys plan things together? Do you know ahead of time whether Kirk or, Kirk or Herbie are planning um kirk or Herbie, a herb shooter of course are planning something specific or how do you guys go about that how much do you actually know ahead of time
1: so jim knockman who you know who's in charge of all of our video and communications with all the different tv crews he's the one that he's probably the one person in the state of pennsylvania that when he hears game day's coming he knows that's that's going to be um you know a long week because he he's really he manages that entire operation um, with with their producers and their on-site operations folks. Yeah, our involvement from a marketing side is, is pretty minimal. I mean, if it's BTN tailgate, yeah, we're we're working with them to get the cheerleaders there and the mascot and the band and stuff like that. When it's game day, it's kind of understood across campus that they're going to come in and work with Old Main and, and Sandy. Um, and, and and Notch and everybody and get stuff done. And then from there, it's like, how can I help? Now, I got all my responsibilities at the stadium. So, hey, Notch, you let me know if you need a hand. So, like, one year, I got a text from Hazel. He, he was like, yo, uh, coach wants to do whiteout stickies for um, for Corso, Herbie, and, um, and Reese and Desmond. I was like, oh, when's he going on? He's like, in in, you know, 30 minutes. I'm up at Beaver Stadium. I'm like, how the hell... I call my boy because I have all these random connections. I call my buddy who at the time, uh, you know, owned the diner. I'm like, yo, I know this is a a, a long stretch. Can you grill stickies for us and paste them in wait 30 minutes live on the air? And Danny Riles is like, yeah, let's do it. So then I get on a damn golf cart. I speed down there. I get them. I run them up the hill behind Old Main. Hazel's out. You know, Michael Hazel is the director of Oxford football. Hazel's running down. James, Coach Franklin's getting off his golf cart with the girls. He has no idea all the chaos that we're running through right now. We just need to get it done, and then, um, and then, yeah, and then we'll run it up. And next thing I know, he's giving Maria Taylor uh, Herb Street, and I don't even remember them eating them, but I know that you know we were like all hands on deck, making sure we got them done. And it's like a split second in history that no one will ever remember. And that's what I did that day. So, like, it's like things like that, Corey. It's not like it's not like PJ's in charge of talent you know relations for game day that that's that's a chris peterson type of thing and her briefing them on what's going on and and notch from a tech side and and for us it's just like hey make sure the band's cool me and drain me and coach drain or director uh, dr drain i should say uh we'll work on the bus schedule because i always help the band with their buses because they have to practice every that's another thing i forgot to mention they practice in the morning of game day so we have to bus them from the blue band building down to haluba at 7 a.m seven buses stage them get them practice and then get them back up there Um, So we got to get that all set up, make sure those kids get bussed down there and bussed back in a a good time. Uh, It's usually not quite all 350. It's usually about 150. I don't even think I – I I, I didn't even step foot down there because we were – I was waiting for the Corso moment of taking the lion head helmet off to add to the intro video because we had done all of our other stuff that I mentioned to you earlier, but we hadn't run through the intro video. And I was like, "This needs to be this. This would be awesome if we got this from today into to end the video." And then ultimately, we did. The crowd went nuts, and um, and that was really cool because we do these special videos too before the band comes out. I forgot to mention, so we try and add like a different video there, every week. So like, yeah, I, I don't do that, but like, yeah, we'll know. Hey, like Chris Peterson will the like, "Hey, Page, the uh, game day's coming up, or driving by Nittanyville, can you call Corey to get the crew out to the street to kind of wave to them to welcome?" So it's like coordination, like that it's like secondhand um stuff but yeah we have met the guys and the ladies from their staff and um and do whatever whatever we can do from a marketing side um but our focus is really everything in the stadium and and just enjoying the fruits of game day coming because it just creates that much more of a buzz and they usually give us a lot of love for the presentation inside the uh the gates
0: yeah there's no question they i mean herb straight glows about it all the time and how amazing it is but pj that saturday that you just described especially on a college game day Saturday, is insane from about 4.30 onward. When do you have a moment, when do you kind of enjoy what you've been able to produce, the amount of people that you've been able to get into the stadium, the amount of people that are enjoying their atmosphere and the environment? When do you kind of get to reflect on all of that?
1: Honestly, when, when someone like you texts me during the game and says, like, that was awesome or 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 yo we're gonna win this like when you and i would have that look before on a friday before or, or cam last year um from the student side or or one of the guys or coach will sometimes text you after the game like, yeah that was great like do whatever the hell you did this week do it again next week that makes me feel like i'm not a player but it makes me feel like i'm still giving back to the, to the to the mission which is making making sure we got home field advantage so i don't know if it's a it's like you enjoy the whole thing i mean who wouldn't want to do that you know what i'm saying? Like. I would never say to anybody, "Oh my god, I got to be up at 4:30." I'm up at 4:30 cuz I want to be up at 4:30. My boss, my boss Chris Crossy, he would say, "Dude, sleep in if you need to. Go home tonight if you need to." And I, and I could, but I just it's like being a kid on Christmas Eve or the day before the Easter egg hunt or the day before your birthday, whatever whatever one you celebrate more or most and and just being like, "You can't sleep you know that feeling you you probably did it every time you were camping out like you just can't so you just go and you're running off adrenaline and when the thing's over yeah you come back home and my parents fortunately are you know in the philly area and they get to come up once or twice a year and my my friends and my my brother and my sister-in-law and everybody my brothers and my sister-in-law they'll come up like that's the moment where you walk in the door at two in the morning after a whiteout game or at four in the afternoon after a noon game because i don't have to cover the press conference i'm out skis after the game uh, my old job, different story, I had to go host the recruiting dinner. Uh, my new job, maybe every now and then I'll pop over to Pagool and make sure they're they're, they're good to go if Andy's hosting a recruiting dinner over there or something like that. Um, but I go home, I'll hang out, I'll have a brewski or, or a soda or a burger or whatever, a roast beef. My mom always like has roast beef going and we'll just sit back and I'll rewatch the game. Because usually when you're producing the game in the stadium, you're really not able to take in as much as you're on top of every single play happening and you're getting it done, done with music and the band and the videos and the fireworks and the liners and all that crap, you're caught up in what you're doing. You don't really get to watch the game and I'm a huge Penn state fan. So I, I tape the game. I go home, I watch it and I'll have a, i will have a have a cocktail with my dad or, or, or whatever the case may be, smoke a cigar with a buddy and watch it, you know, assuming we, we, we got the W at home and then, and then, you know, start thinking about what we could have done better. And then usually me and, Dr. Drain will get on the phone at freaking one in the morning, two in the morning. He'll call him like, Oh my God, we were on point. You know, he's always <laughs> in good after the game. She's so like, we were just on the flow. Like, you know how he is. He's just like, he'll be like, he's on a high. I'm on a high Dean, the PA and answer. He'll call me after every game. And I love Dean. If he's listening to this, he knows this is not me giving him a hard time. He is so like awesome to work with. Cause he just cares more than anybody about the, the, the whole thing. Cause he's really seen it all. He'll call me and be like, like that was the best night ever and he just he just gets that moment where he's hanging out and we'll and those types of people and then me and Dana will hop on the phone and we'll be like man this was awesome or this really sucked or we shouldn't have done this or she and I will have been yelling at each other during the game and because we're, we're kind of an offensive and defensive coordinator you know running a game right so it's just like that I, I don't know I don't know if that explains it as much as it's like there the whole thing is enjoyable it's not like sit back and be like oh what did we do it's like Yeah, This is awesome. Like this is who the hell has an opportunity to do this stuff. I mean, I was sitting as a student at Penn State in 2006, 2007, when a girl that lived next door who I actually was in kindergarten with her dad walked in. I was watching a YouTube video of one of the Guido videos, the um, gladiator one that I'm obsessed with. He's like, oh, did you make that? I said, Mr. Cedor, I did not make this. This is made by Guido D'Elia. Like this, this is the genius behind Beaver Stadium. This is in 06, 07, right when the Whiteout was born. And he's like, oh, that's cool. You could do that. And I said, hell no, I couldn't. I had no pr- – in my head. I could, that's a masterpiece. And then, you know, 10 years later, the, uh, Guido's the type of guy I'm calling all the time to critique what we're doing. If and when he comes to a game or watches it on TV and can kind of hear or see what we're doing. And now we – he's passed the torch and we get to do that. Me – Chris, Dana, you know Pete, Nick, Kathy, the whole the whole crew, Steven, the whole marketing crew. It's it's awesome. It's it's just there's nothing else. There's way to put the best job on earth. It really is.
0: You mentioned a couple things. About what you can improve or things you're looking at when you look ahead to hopefully this season if everything gets back to normal or at least in the future here, do you have any sort of improvements or little hints or tricks? I know you sometimes do remixes. Is there anything that you want to maybe sneak out there or give us a little preview about what you have coming for the next couple of years at Beaver Stadium?
1: I always want to. I always want to tighten up everything and brand everything. When I say that, I mean when we have the honorary captain come out. Like I always like. Two years ago or three years ago when we started doing it, we kind of had the guy come out. We showed him live on the screen. And sometimes the read was like 15 pages long. And by the time the read was done, the ball was in the air. So we shortened the read. I'm just giving you this as an example. So we shortened the read for the honorary captain. Oh, that was better. Then we made B-roll and had had Dean reading. But the B-roll wasn't matching up to what Dean was saying. So then we made B-roll and pre-recorded Dean for the honorary captain. And then it matched what was on the screen. And then we knew when to cut out of that packaged B-roll. The videos that play the highlights into the guy waving when you get the money shot with him linking arms with the Sean Clifford and I'm Parsons walking out for the first time to the center of the field since he was a player here. Right. And then and then branding it with the music every single time the same exact music. So someone else would be like that's the son of Penn State. That's what I, I strive for that type of stuff. And that's just attention to detail over time that's working with the Chris Petersons of the world. Dana Krause is making sure we can tighten that script up a little bit, making sure we can bring in all the bells and whistles, the music, the video to make that script even better. And then Sean knowing exactly when to hit that live shot and get that moment of that, like I said earlier, that goosebump moment where that guy right at the peak of that that read that Dean pre-recorded, we had the music on, on, the video on. And, and then hit, and then going to that live shot, him waving right at the end of it, and then them flipping the coin like that's that's money, but that takes time. That that Mo Bamba moment from last year, that didn't come because we just got lucky. That came because the anticipation for that game was huge versus Michigan. The we happen to have a uh, we do all the green screen shoots with the guys in April and in May uh, for like a four day period in Haluba Hall. We're like we're like locked in Haluba for literally 12 hours a day. and We just bang out every guy. Uh, they do a photo shoot, a green screen, and a white screen. And when we did Jonathan Sutherland, we just happened, I was like, dude, just shake your head and go nuts. Like, I love that kid's look. He's a freaking, he's a, just a baller. He's awesome. And he's shaking his hair and he's got the, the hair, the dreads waving. And then it just happens that leading up to the Michigan week, some idiot fan writes a, a note about how he doesn't think Jonathan or whoever should have dreads or tattoos. And then, you know, damn well, how this story goes. The whole campus, <laughs> all the Penn State fans had Jonathan's back. And we all said, who is this cat? That's right in this nasty note. And then I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, on top of that, we have Jonathan waving his dreadlocks, and we've never shown it. And we got Jim Harbaugh, who the entire stadium is against, not as a human being, but as a coach. Oh, crap, we haven't played Mo Bamba this year, and they did it at the big house last year. And we're talking about that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday. Saturday, we're practicing it. Sure enough, thankfully, Michigan gets the ball first. Penn State's going on defense, and there could not be – if you are going on defense first in your home stadium, there is no louder moment on the planet than Beaver Stadium, Whiteout, versus Michigan or Ohio State when they are going on defense to kick off the game if you play your cards right, which means you don't have you know, a kickoff kid running on the field at that very moment. Maybe that's happening at halftime instead. You don't have a long honorary captain read that's taken up the whole time. You are just letting that moment breathe. They're about to kick off. He kicks it. You know, uh, Penninger kicks it. And Michigan gets it. They get a touchback. They're about to come out. You know you got about 15 to 20 seconds between when that kid, that quarterback, leaves his offense coordinator or his head coach and runs on the field and our defense comes out. That means Dean's read's got to be done. The band can't be playing, and we got to let it sit. And then we're going to put Jonathan up on the board, folks. Oh, and everybody knew that story nationally. we got Jonathan up there. Let me hear be Beaver Stadium. He starts waving the, his hair up there too. Then we hit him with some Mo Bamba. By the way, we're undefeated. People are ready to go. They're pissed off about last year for losing to Michigan, and then Michigan has to call a timeout. That's the greatest moment. Corey, that was 107,000 people all waiting for the same moment and everyone doing their job. Every kid, every older person, younger person yelling, the team being ready, the production crew being ready, Jonathan getting the crowd hype. It just – that all happens, as Coach Franklin says, says. You're not getting lucky. You're just – if you're so prepared – You're going to get lucky because you put yourself in position to get lucky. And we got lucky that night. The weather was perfect. We were undefeated. We had the thing canned. And then Harbaugh called a
0: timeout. It was awesome. Yeah, it really was awesome. Well, PJ, you gave us plenty of time today. I have a bunch of questions, so we're going to have to get you back on the podcast again at some point. But I'm going to let you get back to work. And hopefully we will get to see some of your production and some of the great things Penn State Marketing is doing very soon. Um, but any last words or thoughts for you? Um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, what I really wanted to get
1: out of this was number one, I love talking Penn state with Penn staters, which you are. And, um, and, and, and I, and I also love people that are passionate uh, in in general and you're, you're a passionate guy. And that's why I wanted to come on here because I'm a passionate guy as well. And, um, I just want anybody to listen. I hope there's a younger kid listening. I I don't know who this reaches Corey, like demographic wise but if there's a younger person reach listening and they're like oh my gosh i want to do that then go do it go do it own it make it yours i don't care if you're doing it for the local little league team or you're doing it for the penn state football team or the super bowl champions or 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 the world series champs whoever or the u.s women's national team whoever you're doing it for do it big own it make it awesome and have as much passion as you can hear in my voice then you will succeed i promise you that and it's not about money as as you heard earlier, when I was talking, it ain't about any of that stuff. That that'll all that all come around. It's about just having passion, doing it up, and and just and rocking and rolling. And then that that all leads to Jim
0: Harbaugh calling a timeout. <laughs> that at the end of it, you'll get Harbaugh to call, call timeouts. <laughs> I mean, what else is better? All right, PJ. All and thank right, you for having me on, Corey. I appreciate you reaching out to me, man. Of course, no, I appreciate you taking time, especially on a short notice to do it. You have a good Fourth of July. PJ Mullen, Penn State Athletics Director of Marketing. Thank you very much for joining us, and I will talk to you hopefully very soon, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you, Corey. Thank you to PJ Mullen for coming onto the show and talking to us. If you got this far in the podcast, make sure that you're subscribed somewhere that you listen to your podcast. You're following us on Twitter, Hardcore CFB. You're subscribed to my YouTube channel where I am breezing through college football team 2020 previews. Every preview is under five minutes long. And if you made it this far, Go give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All five-star reviews are read right on the show. That's all I have today. Hope you had a fantastic 4th of July, and stay hardcore. This is of the Stokey, and I'm out.